Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. This podcast is associated with the Scattered Abroad Network. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe and check out the episode notes below for contact information, including websites and where we can be found on social media. Again, thank you for your support and let's begin our Bible study. Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and today we are looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is going to be the first part of a three-part series in the prologue of the Gospel account of John. Before we get into that, I want to give our guest, the preacher at the Quitman Church of Christ in Quitman, Georgia, Drew Suttles, an opportunity to introduce himself to our audience. All right, Josh, I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, Thank everyone for tuning in and listening. Uh, This is an honor to be on this podcast. Really great idea. Love this idea of marking in your Bible. And I think uh, it's it's a great advantage that we have. If we're going to study the Bible the right way, it's a workbook uh, and we need to use it that way. So uh, you mentioned I'm in Equipment, Georgia. I've been here for four years now. Uh, My wife, Brittany, and I, uh, we have four children, Jackson, Henley, Palmer, and McKenna. Uh, and we've been blessed to be here in South Georgia. I'm originally from North Georgia. I uh, went to Fred Hardman University, played baseball there, and then left there and went to the Memphis School of Preaching, 2018 graduate. So very blessed, very thankful. God has been with me and uh, given me a lot of tools and a lot of people in my way that have helped me. And so uh, grateful to be here today to discuss the Bible with you. I appreciate it. And Drew, this is, I'm, I'm excited for this study personally. Uh, Drew went to the Memphis School of Preaching while my dad taught there. I believe my dad taught Drew uh, in uh, the class uh, of John. Uh, and so Drew brought up the, the prologue of John because uh, uh, I would say for my dad's passion uh, for the book and, and this particular section of Scripture. And so uh thoroughly excited about this opportunity to study it with Drew and get into it. Plus, I love the, the gospel account of John. Uh, just finished it. Uh, in my, uh, I'm working on a master's right now and, and finished it from a textual standpoint. Uh, and uh, I taught it um, uh, just before this, finished just before this, this past summer uh, for about, I want to say eight months, uh, eight or nine months straight. Uh, so we were able to delve into it. Uh, pretty well and and even then just as i continue to study it you know to prepare for this still pulling from it uh more and more stuff so uh, it's a rich study uh the whole bible is a rich study but i thoroughly enjoy uh the fourth gospel uh as we mentioned uh just from a context standpoint just to kind of give an overall context of the book uh the theme of it is found in 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 chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, where John basically makes the point that he wrote all these things that you might believe that Jesus was uh, the Son of God, that he was deity, and through believing you might have life in his name. Uh, and, and I'm not, I paraphrased it, uh, but that's the context of it. And I think uh, you cannot study the book of John without that thread running through it, you have to keep in mind in every, and, and it's the same in all of them, but I think more so in John, uh, you have to keep in mind that this is God incarnate interacting with his creation. And and that's, when you look at it through that lens, uh, then the things that Jesus says start to uh, 
start to, in my opinion, have a deeper meaning uh, and, and start to have more than just uh, mere interactions with people. This, this is God himself interacting with his, uh, with his creation. Uh, I personally believe that uh, there's some who think that this was written earlier. Uh, I personally believe this was written around 85 AD, so this is near the later end of the first century. Uh, I believe the John had the the three synoptic gospels uh, and, and at his disposal. Uh, he was familiar with them, probably read them, uh, and I feel like John wrote this to kind of fill in the gaps, if that makes sense. And and I'm, this is just my personal opinion, but it feels like a friend writing about his friend. Uh, and not to take away from the Synoptic Gospels, uh, but I think there's a purpose in Synoptic Gospels, and I think it was audience-driven. Uh, Matthew wanted to tell the Jews about Jesus. Mark wanted to tell the Romans about Jesus. Uh, Luke wanted to tell the Greeks about Jesus. I think John, we say that he wrote to humanity, but I think the purpose of John was less about his audience and more about a friend wanting to represent his friend, to fill in the gaps for his friend. So just my personal opinion. Uh, I know Drew has some stuff uh, on the context, so we'll turn it over to you, Bob. Well, I'm right there with you on that. I believe it was a later date. I believe they had the Synoptic Gospels. You mentioned Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that's important for our audience to, to understand that there's one gospel and you have four different accounts. And like you said, Matthew's writing the Jews, so what's he going to emphasize? Well, look at the genealogy, look at the kingship, the messiahship. Mark, you mentioned to the Romans, they were enamored with power. And Mark gets right to it, doesn't he? In verse 1, this is the yeah. gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Luke has been called the gospel to the outcast, which I like that title, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Uh, look at some of the parables, uniqueness of Luke. But as you mentioned, John is, is such an incredible study and it's so unique and and with the theme being at the end this is the only one of the four accounts where the theme is at the end if you think about it matthew mark and luke right at the very beginning here's what i'm going to write about but john is able to supply all the evidence and then in 20 30 and 31 say here's why i did that and then look at the last verse of the book of john if the, the world itself could not contain the books that should be written if we're going to write everything so like you said from a a friend to a friend, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is writing this with such a unique perspective. And really, he, he goes his own direction. Now, granted, he's, you know, he's inspired the Holy Spirit. We understand that, John 16, 13. But there's no genealogy. There's no birth account. There's no early years. He, he goes back to creation. He goes beyond that. He, he's emphasizing the impact that Jesus made in the world and the impact he can make in your world. Right. No, great point. And I like that you pointed out where, where he starts, because that's where obviously what we're going to look at. But uh, Matthew starts with the, with the lineage and the birth of Jesus. Mark starts with the beginning of his ministry. And uh, Luke starts essentially uh, a little before Jesus' birth with John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist, the one who would pave uh, the way for him. Uh, but like you said, John goes before all that and yeah. and puts it. Uh, and and I, I, I like that because, again, when we think of the idea that this is deity interacting with his creation, then uh, the thread that we have to keep in mind is that John is very purposeful, in, especially in this prologue, uh, but I think throughout the rest of the book, very purposeful in exclaiming that the one Jesus 
didn't have a beginning. Well, you know, and we'll, you know, just and we're going to look at verse fourteen later, but it, it makes the point that the eternal Word was made flesh. Uh, it wasn't born in the sense that you and I are born when we come into existence at conception, and then nine months later we're born into the world. This is the eternal one was made in the likeness of his creation rather than coming into existence. And uh, that was an issue um, that in the first century that had to be dealt with in the sense that they believed the son was a created God or a created being. Uh, and, and John dispels that in the first three verses, which we're going to look at. Uh, but it's disappointing the fact that after 2000 years, man still hadn't figured it out. And, and so, uh, it proves that that this section of John is just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. So uh, moving, so getting into the text, we'll begin reading verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What do you have there, Drew? Well, going back to the fact that your, your dad was my teacher, very, very precious time for me because Brother Elkins actually had passed away right before I started. So when Brother Walker came in, we were the only class to have him for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and he was tough. Not to say the other teachers weren't tough, and you know that. But he told me one time, he said, y'all don't memorize enough. Y'all don't write enough. And he was always pushing. And the first assignment we had in John was to memorize the prologue. And I, I can go back to the time when and I'm just walking around campus, walking around all the time trying to memorize this prologue. And, and, and just keep coming back and thinking about the power of this opening text and there's so many words that jump out but but like you just said when, when you pick up your bible and you read in the beginning your mind's going to go back to the book of genesis your mind goes back to what's been called the epic of god the book of genesis here, here is god introducing himself to the world uh that that's what the bible is anyway it's the mind of god in written form as frank chester said so you connect in the beginning with with time but then you have the phrase was the word and and I'm sure we're going to talk about the word in this because it comes up a lot. But I have this. I'm going to quote from your dad a lot from my notes. But he said, here's my practical definition for the word. Flesh and blood, physical reality, the mind of God. And, and that's a loaded definition. But that's so important as you just begin getting into the text. In the beginning was the physical reality, the mind of God. And you mentioned verse 14. We're going to get to that. That. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and so those who are listening, if you want to mark in your Bible right here, I, want, I have just a few passages to emphasize very quickly. I'll turn it back to you. But John 14, 8 and 9, you know, Philip says, hey, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus says, have I not been with you? And you say, show me the Father. Have you not been looking? Mm -hmm. I am I'm God in the flesh. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, when Paul emphasizes that Jesus didn't think it was a thing to be grasped. You know, he, he like you said, he's not a created being. He's been there. He, he was there the whole time. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. And, and Paul emphasizes that uh, in Christ, you know, all things consist. He's before all things. And then Hebrews 1, 3, he's the exact engravement uh, of God. That That is, those passages, when you combine, there's so much depth. Uh, I'll quote from your dad again. He said, the book of John is simple. So simple that a child, if it were a pool, could swim in it. And at the same time, it's so deep that an elephant could drown in it. And I always love that illustration, that word picture. But just those first few words, and again, go back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's so much to unpack. And the same is true with John 1-1. In the beginning was the word. Just th that phrase just opens the door for so much. 
Excellent point. And I like that, that mind of God in written form that you brought up. Um, because I underlined that phrase in the beginning. Uh, and obviously I have the, the Genesis one, one account. That's where that's in the ref. If you have a reference Bible, that's probably, uh, the first, uh, reference you have, uh, as far as this goes. And that's the purpose of John is to take you back to creation, to the beginning of creation. Uh, but I also contrast this with Mark one, one, Mark one, one, uh, talks says this is the beginning of the gospel of Christ, the son of God. Uh, starting the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And I think there's some, if we're not careful, and when I say we, uh, we, I mean just mankind in general, if we're not careful and we start to think about the gospel, we start to think about it from, I mean, from the life of Jesus, we have his birth, uh, we have the interaction with the, the leaders at the temple when he was 12, but a uh, majority of what we have in the gospel accounts are about the age of when he was 30 to 33. So about a three and a half year span um, in that standpoint. And if we're not careful, we kind of consider the existence of the gospel coming to fruition here on earth when Jesus started his ministry. Uh, and I've put next to this, uh, that underlining in the beginning, Proverbs 18, 22 and 23, when wisdom is personified as speaking and says, I was at the beginning, I was made at the beginning, uh, Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, uh, when it talks about the manifold wisdom of God being made known in the church and then verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Uh, Acts 15 and verse 18, where it says, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the earth. Uh, and I just made this point, the gospel and all that contained therein was at the beginning with the eternal Godhead. Uh, and the purpose of that statement and the purpose of that thought is that nothing from Genesis to Revelation was something that just came about Really, it's as eternal as the Godhead that created it. Yeah. And, and when you look at it from that standpoint, and I say all that to make this point, is that the Christ, the one who came in human form, was part of that planning process. The part of the, the, the process of coming to this earth and dying, that was determined at this, that was determined before the beginning of the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the gospel account and, and the, the plan of salvation and the scheme of redemption is as eternal as the God who provides it. And, and Amen. I think John is, uh, I, and like we mentioned earlier, I think he had Mark's account and I mm-hmm. think he took Mark's beginning in the beginning was the ministry of Jesus. Well, the one who Mark spoke of in the beginning existed long before that. Therefore, everything that he was going to accomplish in his life was determined long before he came to this earth. And and so uh, I appreciate you bringing the word. Uh, there are three names for Jesus in these first five verses. Word is one of them, light and life uh, are the other, are the three. Uh, and word, and, and you've heard it before, uh, but I think it's it's got to be stressed that this is the communication of God. Uh, like you said, and, and, um, you're hard pressed. If you want to know how God would treat a situation here on this earth, look at the life of Christ, because that's what it, what it communicates. What else do you have? Well, you, you brought out those three words. And so I wanted to, to do a, a word study on these 
Again, for our audience, someone likes to mark, take notes, look at the, the word it is in the original. And then I've got uh, from Strong, I've got a sense of that word. And I thought it was pretty neat to, to put all this together. So I wanted to share it. So the first word, the word, the logos, here's what Strong said. He said, it's a title of Jesus understood as God's ultimate communication of truth about himself. And you mentioned the Godhead and eternity. And, and a lot of that is maybe hard for us to grasp <laughs> because everything we know is bound by time. Mm -hmm. And to think that, like you mentioned, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11, this is the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So this was already in the works. You know, before God ever said, let there be light, he already had the church in mind. That That is, it, it's hard for us to grasp that. But all of this was according to plan. You know, the church wasn't a plan B. You know, Satan coming to Eve and her Senate, that what they didn't catch God off guard. Mm -hmm. Genesis 3.15 was already in God's mind. The seed of woman is going to come. Galatians 4.4 4, in the fullness of time. God sent forth. How's he going to send him forth if he's not already, already there? Well, it's because he was. He was in the eternal purpose, the eternal mission. And he carried it out perfectly, of course. So the word there is found four times in the prologue. Right here in these first few verses and then verse 14, of course, you have the word taken on flesh. Then you have the life. Zoe, uh, I guess you can pronounce it that way. Or is, and Strong says it's the inherent capacity for producing and maintaining human beings. And I thought, man, that's, a, that's kind of a deep thought there. But then think about what Jesus says in John 10 and verse 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Same word, same idea. We have physical life. Of course, if, if we understand what he's saying here, Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, is the agent by which this world was created. That's creation. Colossians 1 echoes that. But not only physical life, but spiritual life is found through him as well. So the idea that in him was life, the life was the light of men, it's all contingent on him as the second person of the Godhead. So you have the word, the logos, you have life, and then you have light, literally the source of illumination. And later, John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. So those three words are not only brought out in the prologue, but when you study the book of John, keep those three words in your mind. Like you said, keep the purpose of John, that thread throughout. Notice how many times those words are going to pop up throughout the book of John. So life is found two times in the prologue, but it's found 47 times throughout the rest of the book. To me, that's that's powerful. And then light is found three times in the prologue and 20 times uh, throughout the book of John. So these three words, the word, the life, and the light, John is going to connect those throughout the gospel, the life of Jesus. Excellent point. Excellent. Do you have anything else on one? That was great. Um, the only thing else uh, is, is connecting Genesis 1-3. And, and I, I got it thinking about the connection between life and light. So the first thing God spoke into existence was was light, Genesis 1-3. And then you don't read about a living creature until Genesis 1-20. And I thought it was just interesting to think, okay, here's light. Now everything is seen. Here comes the life. But with Jesus, you have both connected. Mm -hmm. he's, bringing, he's bringing both into the world, light and life. Uh, Peter, uh, Paul will write about that later. He brought life and light to immortality through the gospel. Uh, but then you have living creatures, Genesis 1-20. You have God making man, Genesis 1-26 and 27. 2-7, he breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life. So there's this connection with Genesis that's even deeper now that we're looking at Jesus. Uh, and I remember your, your dad telling us, he said, what John writes about is even more important than the creation account. 
And I had to go back and think about that for a while. Uh, obviously, the creation of the world is important. But what John is writing about is even deeper because he's taking us before the world was even, you know, even made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so thinking about th- these words and what what John is doing, I want to share this with you before we move on. Um, go ahead. And make sure I have it. Okay, good. I got it. Um, this is from my, my class notes, but Brother Walker told us, he said, I want you to study the book of John like you've never heard of Jesus before in your life. That's a challenge to do that. He said, but I want you to pick it up and read through it and let the evidence speak for itself. Here's who John is introducing as you read the book. And so that quarter, I really tried to say, all right, I'm not going to think of anything else. I'm just going to let it flow. He said, there are three ways that John wants us to see the gospel. This is from the first two verses we just noticed. Number one, in universal terms, because Jesus impacts the whole world, right? In the beginning was the word, life, light. This impacts the entire world. Later. Of course, John, the immerser, introducing him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, he loved the world. There's that universal scope. Number two, in eternal terms, not just a divine man, but God himself. John 1.1, all things made by him. That's John 1.3, being before all things. And then third, in essential terms. As As John is going to establish these things in the first few phrases, when you study and read about the miracles, when you... Study the teaching. You study the I am statements. It's going to teach us that Jesus is greater than the miracles. He's greater than the teachings. It's pointing people to the the absolute truth about God. Here, like you said, how do you treat people? Look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. How do you handle adversity? Look at Jesus. And so John is telling us in these first eighteen ver- the prologue is the book of John. Mm-hmm. This is the whole book. The rest is filling in the details. Uh, and so as we continue to kind of flesh this out just thinking about all the things all the elements that john is bringing out it's focusing our minds on the fact that the the word's always been there who's with god the word was god but he left the heavenly realm he was rich he became poor for us to give us the opportunity to live forever this is so much depth in just the first few phrases of this book but it shouldn't intimidate us to the point where we don't study it and we don't meditate on it. Right. So we need to think about what John is saying and understand the connection, the word, the life, the light. And as we go throughout the book of John to our listeners, as they leave the prologue, see how he connects all these dots uh, together. Excellent point. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, these first 18 verses, essentially the thesis of the entire book. I mean, he sets it out. I mean, uh, very good point. Moving on to chapter two, he says he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. What do you have there? Well, again, we mentioned Colossians one. I want to go over there and read that. Um, Of course, we can stay with the text, but just noticing the connection that Paul is bringing out and to our listeners to understand that, that John and Paul both inspired the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not of any private interpretation. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved or born along, 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. So they're getting this from the same source. They didn't just come up with it. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit could use their unique vocabularies and experiences to bring about this truth. But noticing what Paul says in Colossians 1, the book of Colossians essentially is you can be complete in Christ. There were those who were trying all kinds of different things, but he says you can be complete. Just, just reading this, and I've circled the word all. So, again, I know the theme of this podcast, if you mark in your Bible, 
if you circle or underline or highlight the word all in Colossians 1, 15 through 18, and put in the margin John 1, 1 and 2. Here's what he says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That's John 1 right there, isn't it? The firstborn, and here's our word, over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created through him, and look at this phrase, and for him. That's powerful to think about. Mm -hmm. We're talking about deity. We're talking about our, our Savior, our hero, who came and, and provided the sacrifice we could never provide for ourselves. Then verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And then you have the emphasis with the church being the eternal purpose. Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So if we counted right, that's six times in Colossians 1, 15 through 18, where he's emphasizing how important it is to know who Jesus is. And that's what John is bringing out in these first two verses. When he says the same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him, we don't need to miss that. The second person of the Godhead was actively involved. And when you get down to verse 26 of Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. That's the whole Godhead involved. So the Godhead had you in mind from eternity. Yeah. John is bringing that point out to his audience to say, here's who I'm telling you about. And as you read the rest of these words, go back to the fact that he's been there this whole time. And yet he stepped out and he came for you. Great point. And I like that coinciding it with Colossians chapter one. Um, and just focus on the word all. Um, I just put, I circled it and I just put this question. Did the word create himself? Which is a, a logical impossibility. You can't, right. uh, you can't do that. So, uh, anyone who wants to argue that the, the word or that the Christ was a created God, a lesser God because he was created, uh, I think we need to, you know, I mean, John takes care of it here in, in this word. It's an important word, small word, but, uh, very impactful. I highlighted verse two where it says he was in the beginning with God. Um, and sometimes we, some may glaze over this as just a summary of, of verse one or a transition statement between, uh, one and three. But I, I think when we look at, uh, the gospel of John, particularly with the Jewish leaders, the issue was not that the creator exists. They didn't have an issue with, with Jesus talking about God, that it wasn't an atheistic type of proof that he has to put out there. The issue that the religious leaders had was Jesus calling himself God. And John pointing out that this one Jesus who was crucified and who was raised and was sent back into heaven was God. It wasn't the, the fact that the creator exists. It was the fact that Jesus was that creator. And so he's making that point with, uh, in these two verses has the idea of looking face to face, which shows the distinction between the two members of the Godhead, not just, uh, one, uh, one God who comes in different forms, but three distinct, uh, personalities within it. 
Um, but I also uh, underlined was not anything made that was made and drew the line back up to verse 1 where we made the point that Jesus was involved in the gospel plan, part of the manifestation, not only just the physical things that that we see. Who wouldn't? We're not talking just about the creation of the physical, but we're also talking about the scheme of redemption. Jesus had as much a part in that as he did in the creation. And that adds depth to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, when he talks about Jesus letting go of the, you know, loosening his grasp or, or not counting it robbery to be equal with God, letting go of that position in heaven and coming to this earth, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, I believe, being made lower than the angels. That wasn't something where, and I just, for me, maybe it's just me, but I just picture the Godhead sitting there saying, hey, we need someone to go to earth and die on the cross. And Jesus kind of looking around, uh, well, if, if no one else is going to do it, I guess I'll do it. That's not the mindset of it. The whole purpose yeah. here is, is that this is a plan that Jesus was actively a part in. So anything that happened to Jesus here on earth was his his plan from the beginning. It wasn't a, a reluctance. It wasn't a he was forced to do it. There's a, a it just adds to the voluntary aspect of it. This was his plan as well. And so, and I know when he walked this earth that everything was, you know, I came to do the will of the Father, not my will, but the Father's will. And I think that's, uh, goes back to the idea of the word and him providing the example, uh, that he, he, he dealt with everything from a humanistic standpoint, the way we, because that's how we are going to have to handle it. And that's the way we should handle it. Uh, but, you know, not, we don't want to miss the fact that Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, was as much a part of this plan and the planning process as the Father and the Spirit, uh, equal with that, um, which t to me, like you mentioned earlier, it's difficult for us to wrap our head around things. It's difficult for me to wrap around. You're planning this. You're omniscient. You know what's gonna, it, what it's going to entail, uh, yet you willfully do it anyway. And, that's, and, and I think the only way to describe it is just the love God has for his creation. And in sure. verse three, he created all things. This is the love Christ had uh, for humanity and, and for uh, and for, you know, lost souls. Um, and, and so a very good point. Do um, you have anything else on those two verses? I just want to connect something you just mentioned that Jesus knew what he was doing. John would later write Revelation 13, 8. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So if he was there and he was there and we, we know that he was, then he knew of the plan. He knew mm -hmm. what was going to happen. And then in John chapter 10, he tells everybody, listen, I've got the power to lay down my life. I've got the power to take it again. He he was in complete control of every situation, even when he was taken to the cross. Mm -hmm. And the, the world didn't understand that. First Corinthians chapter one, you know, to the Greeks, it's foolishness. To the Jews, it's, it's, you know, they're seeking a sign. They're looking for this and that. How could God come and die for man? It, it just it blew their minds that he was doing that. But they didn't understand, like you mentioned, they didn't understand the love, the depth of love that he was willing to show to the world. That's Romans chapter 5 in a nutshell. Right. Of, of him dying for the world that he created. That's just a, a very deep thought. Right. Great point. And I think that's why you go through John and all the gospel accounts and you see him mocking him as he hangs on the cross. And it's, mm -hmm. and, and, it should stir up emotion because when you read this, 
when you read John and you understand that that this plan was in place long before Earth created and that he was voluntary and what he gave up to do it. And then as he's doing it, you have men mocking him and ridiculing him. It, and that's that's I think and, and it's intentional, obviously, that that's why it stirs up that emotion. So very good point. Uh, verse four uh, and five in him was life and the light or I'm sorry, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What do you have there, Drew? <laughs> this takes my mind back to Genesis, of course, but it also takes my mind to the book of Exodus. Remember the ninth plague was darkness over the land and there was darkness. The Bible says darkness you could feel. That's a, that's a thick, thick darkness that was there. But the Bible also says the Israelites had light in their dwellings. That, to me, speaks volumes even today as Christians. We live in a world of darkness, and yet we are to reflect the light of Jesus. When you think about this statement, connect it back to Genesis. What was there? Well, there was darkness. Darkness over the face of the earth. Well, then God said, let there be light. There was darkness because of sin in the world. And what did God say? I'm going to send my son. So the, the connection with the physical, but now the spiritual, is in him was life, and the life was the light of men. What does light do? Well, it provides the path. We know where we're going. It's illumination. It provides warmth, direction. Psalm 119, 105 comes to mind. Your word is a lamp to my feet, light to my path. So with Jesus, John is telling us in these first few verses, here's the direction that you need for this life and to live forever. John 14, 6 comes to mind. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of many ways. I'm the way. Mm -hmm. He's not one of many lights. He's not one of many lives. He is the life and the light. And that's emphasized in these two verses. Excellent point. From the commentary standpoint, verse four, particularly, uh, and that word life, it, it seems 50, 50 in just what I looked at. And I haven't looked at, you know, just everything out there. So I can't say that's accurate uh, statistic, but it seems like 50, 50 looks at either verse four is a conclusion to verse three. And so life, they're talking about the animation of all that there is, the animals, uh, humanity, the order of the earth, plant life, and all that. Uh, others look at verse 4 as a beginning of uh, essentially what's going to be talked about in verse 5 and into it, the remainder of the book as far as the spiritual life that uh, the word provides. Uh, the Greek word there is the Greek word uh, zoe, uh, which we get the, the English name Zoe uh, from. It means life. Anytime John uses that word, and you mentioned it's used uh, over 30 times in this gospel account, uh, every time that it's used in this gospel account, as well as the other Johannine writings, First, uh, Second, Third John, and Revelation, anytime the Greek word Zoe or Zoe is used, it's either explicitly or implicitly talking about eternal life. Yeah. Uh, right. The continuation of the spiritual man. Uh, if you go to John 13 and verse 37 or John 15 and verse 13, there you have the Greek word psuche, uh, uh, which is where we get our English word psyche and psycho. Mm -hmm. uh, that is life that is terminated by death. And in fact, uh, John 13 and verse 37 uh, that's where Peter says that I will lay down my life for you. Uh, I will end uh, or terminate the animation of this physical body for you. That's what he's talking about uh, there. 
And, and I say that to make this point that I think John, if he's talking about just the animation of our physical body, he purposely uses the word suke uh, yeah. to draw that distinction between Zoe and Zuke. And, and so here, I think first four is the beginning of everything else, the, the, the eternal life that Jesus provides. Not saying that it can't be applied to the, the animation of all living things here on this earth, but I think that's a secondary meaning of this, this verse. I think the primary verse is in him was life, life eternal. And, yes. and you take this, you can almost bookend, uh, I would say this with what we talked about in chapter 20, verse 31. And, mm -hmm. and that's the theme that runs through it. Jesus is eternal life. He is the sole source of eternal life. And he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. The only way that, and like you mentioned, the only way you and I are ever going to have eternal life, to live after this body has, has died and, and gone back to the dust, is through Christ. And, and that's the point he's trying to drive home is the one who is eternal offers eternality to his creation. And that's why he came. And that's the sole purpose. And it, it's the, and like we mentioned, it's the thread that runs through it. Uh, and, and he has to establish his eternality through the book. Before Abraham was, I am. That's him establishing his eternality. It, it's him. It's Jesus giving credence to his claims i'm calling you to come to me come unto me have eternal life because i am eternal life and john's going to lay that throughout and like you said uh look at john without knowing jesus look yeah. at it as if you're hearing about jesus for the first time and one of the things that you should pull from it is that jesus is eternal he offers eternal life to man, and he's the only one who, not only the one who does so, but, I mean, I'm sure there are others who do it, but he's the only one who legitimately does it and, and offers it uh, to us. Uh, and then you go down and, and talk about the light in verse 5, and what's interesting is everything, uh, verse 5, the word, uh, the light shines, that word shines, uh, shifts, uh, from a, a imperfect, I think it's imperfect, uh, in the Greek, this one is present active. In other words, John's bringing it back to, uh, his reality and it bring like the light not only shined during creation and before creation, not only did it shine here in the first century, uh, but we read it today, the light still shines. It's a present active continual uh, aspect, which uh, that's the only present active uh, verb in this first five verses. And I think that's intentional by John stressing mm -hmm. to his audience, not only remember Jesus has died and ascended back into heaven. So he's been gone from this earth for a little over 50 years or so, if it's written in 85 AD. And yet his light, his influence, his uh, example still uh, shines like a beacon of light in the darkness today. And so I, I thought that was interesting how he did that. What else do you have? Well, it is really interesting. And think about the fact that that's our mission as Christians is to reflect that light, to keep it going. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, salt and the light. And then another connection, you just triggered a thought. What about 1 John 1, 1 through 5? 
Mm-hmm. When you said light, present, active, my mind immediately went to verse seven, of course. If we keep walking in the light, that's all present, active tense. You keep walking in the light, the blood of Jesus keeps cleansing you. But when you compare John 1, 1 through 5 and 1 John 1, 1 through 5, it's pretty amazing. John's the same writer. That which we have seen, that which we have handled, the word of life, there's the word. God is light and him is no darkness at all. There's those connections between 1 John 1, 1 through 5 and John 1, 1 through 5. And you can make that that note in your margin and have that and be able to see the connection with these first five verses and what's being said there. But another thing to consider, you know, you mentioned John 20, 30, and 31. And one thing I've done in my Bible that helps me is I'm color coordinated with my markings. So I've got a red, kind of the scarlet thread idea. I underline the entire verse 30 and 31, John 20, 30, and 30. Anytime I see anything throughout the book about that you might believe, or he did this, that they might believe. John 2, for example, the miracle, they would believe. Underline it, and every time you see that color, you're connecting it. When you think about the statement about life, just think about the personal interactions Jesus had with people. John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He cut right to the chase. Except a man be born of the water of the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus talking about? Life. Eternal life. John chapter 4. Talks about with the woman at the well. What's he bring up? I'll give you the water of life. John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. What happened when Peter came to him? The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. We believe you have the words of eternal life. John chapter 11, when Lazarus dies, what does he come and tell Mary and Martha? They're distraught. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. John 14, 6. You could keep going and we could spend all day on it. But John is laying down the foundation. That the word brings life, it brings light, he brings hope. And everything is going to connect back to what we just studied in these first five verses. Right. Uh, and so just want to encourage our audience as they read through the book of John to look for those key words. And look how John is, is intertwining all this together. Absolutely. And that's a great point. And and I and I and I do I do appreciate the eternality of Jesus that John is trying to stress throughout. I think that was probably one of the characteristics the Jews, Jehovah, has entailed with it, the idea, or Yahweh, has entailed with the eternal one, the Alpha, the Omega, no beginning, no end. Uh, and and so he's trying, uh, and he does, I'm not trying, but he successfully puts that characteristic, puts that aspect of nature, of the Godhead's nature on Jesus. Even yes. and 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 even though he walked on this earth, because that was, you you remember, I believe it was it's, it's John eight, if I remember correctly, when they talks about uh, when he's when Jesus is talking about Abraham, and they say you're not even fifty years old yet. So you see mm-hmm. that their mindset was still on you're just this physical man, and John's stressing that this is just he. Get off the physical, and Jesus did it too. Get off the physical. You have to yeah. get off the physical. Look at Jesus and quick get looking at him from that physical standpoint. Look at him from a spiritual standpoint. Look at him as deistic. Look at him as eternal. Uh, and that's the, and, and again, you would think after 2000 years of the gospel, almost 2000 years of the gospel existing, mankind would have figured it out, but still people look at Jesus from just a, they want to compare him to, to Buddha. They want to compare him to Muhammad, a great prophet, a good man, uh, had great philosophies. They'll throw him in the same category with Aristotle and Socrates and all that. And that's 
the, 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 the human facet of Jesus was secondary in comparison to what was really taking place, which was God walked among his creation. And, and that's the point John is trying to focus uh, the readers is that this person that we call Jesus, yes, he was in human form, but this is the eternal God taking on a temporary three-decade form for our benefit. And that main benefits of all, if you want to take all that you take the, the, cause I, I believe, and I've said it on this podcast before, but if you live your life according to the example of Christ, you will have the best physical life on this earth. Uh, sure. The best physical life that a person can live is found in the gospel. Uh, but beyond that, the, the main premise of all this is the eternal God wants his creation for eternity to to be eternal as well and that's that's i guess you want to encapsulate that in that's the message of john and here's how you do it here's here's why jesus is qualified to provide eternal life and this is how you obtain eternal life through jesus uh, and so anything else on those first five verses i just have a closing thought it reminds me of what c.s lewis said about lunatic or Lord when it comes to Jesus. They said he's either a liar and a lunatic or you fall down on his feet and you call him Lord. And it reminds us of John 20, verse 28 and following, when Thomas needed to see the evidence. Mm -hmm. Jesus, of course, says, look, and he says, my Lord and my God. When you study the book of John, that ought to be your conclusion. You fall at the feet of Jesus and you call him Lord, my Lord and my God. And that's what John is really emphasizing in the prologue that's what he's going to talk about throughout. The evidence is more than sufficient for us to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believe we might have life through his name. Great point. That's a great way to close it. Drew, thank you for coming on. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, this is part one of three. Uh, so tune in next week for the, for the continuation uh, of the study of the prologue. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. Like, share, subscribe. And with that, uh, we are out.